Welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Leidig, and we have another interesting show today. I guess they're all interesting. I don't know. <laughs> At least to me, they are. Um, but I thought it'd be fun today to talk about archetypes, and this is something that I've mentioned, I guess, a few times here in the past, but we've not actually dedicated an entire show to it, and it's one of my favorite topics, along with uh, studying language and those kinds of things, because in many ways, archetypes are a form of language. Um, they exist uh, in every culture, every um, point in history, they're there. Uh, we're still driven by them today, and they take on a lot of different forms. Um, and we're going to get into some of those forms, uh, whether it's stories or characters or whatever the case may be. But one of the reasons why I find it so fascinating is because whenever you dig right down into who we are as humans, why we do what we do, why we think what we think, all of that at the core are these archetypes, these um, representations that seem to be the same regardless of location, time, culture, gender, any of those, doesn't matter, they, they just exist. And whenever we understand that they actually are there, it can give us greater insight into who we are as people and what we need to do to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And while we may think that we have you know, our own creative ideas and thoughts, and of course we do, just understand that in most cases, all of those fall within the construct of archetypes, which again, are just representations. And um, I find that incredibly fascinating because uh, deep down, we don't know why, but we want to follow certain things like we want to be the hero you know we want our own rags to riches story um you know we may believe in an underworld or that an apocalypse is coming uh you know we may find ourselves dealing with certain kinds of tragedies or the need to overcome a monster or something like that even if the monster is us and all of these are archetypes. They all drive us. They uh, are every bit as much a language that, uh, a universal language really, that we all speak and inherently understand deep down, uh, even more so than the languages of the earth, you know, English, Spanish, whatever. Um, we may not know how to speak someone's language, like, I don't, you know, I'm true American. I only know English and barely that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so if somebody spoke to me in uh, Russian or German or whatever, I wouldn't know what they were saying. But that doesn't change the fact that in their culture, just like mine, there are heroes. There are creation stories and virgin births and all of that kind of stuff. So... Um, for that reason, it's incredibly fascinating to me. So I thought I actually have a couple notes, just notes from things that I've shared uh, in the past and from my own personal research, just because 
remembering some of this off the top of my head is like impossible. Um, and I'm not going to show the notes on the screen, but we'll just uh, share uh, some of the, uh, the different types. Typically, um, when it comes to archetypes and characters, the, the common view is that there are 12. And uh, this is pretty widely held. Of course, um, Carl Jung and uh, Joseph Campbell were huge contributors to the idea of um, myths, uh, mythology, and archetypes. But really, a lot of that study goes back much further to like Plato and Socrates and some of those guys. But uh, when it comes to characters, you have 12 typically. And um, chances are that throughout our life, we pass through multiples of these, if not many of them. Um, and they are uh, the innocent, the explorer, the hero, the sage, the outlaw, the magician, the orphan or regular guy and girl, um, lover, the jester or clown, the caregiver, the creator, and the ruler. And if you think about the stories that we tell, if you think about the day-to-day, uh, the -day, or at least certainly our aspirations, um, you can pretty easily pin those thoughts on one of the 12, if not more than one. <laughs> Tony says, I want to be the outlaw. Yeah, except the outlaw that gets caught. <laughs> you know, but... Um, uh, I, I tend to like to be the hero, you know, save the day. Uh, that's been my MO over the years. But if you think about the fact that a lot of our lives um, and everything that we've done can really be broken down into these common characters, it's, it's fascinating, you know, especially from a perspective of trying to be original, trying to be creative, trying to be imaginative. Um, we're still in these boxes and uh you know um when it comes to uh the archetypes themselves of course many of these you've heard of where and i just mentioned a few in passing uh, it's oftenly held that there are seven primary stories they're considered building blocks but they're all based on archetypes and they all um, include the 12 actors or the 12 characters in some form or another. Um, and probably the most popular one is called uh, The Quest or The Hero's Journey. Um, most likely many of you, if not all of you, have heard of that at some point or another. And we see it in some of our most favorite, most beloved, best told stories, even modern day. Um, you see the hero's journey or the hero's quest uh, play out like um, Harry Potter in the Harry Potter movies, like uh, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Um, you see it in, um, in the Lord of the Rings. Um, so very huge movies. And somehow we, re we relate to those at a very deep level. Um, not to the point where we're saying, oh, okay, Bilbo Baggins is me, you know, <laughs> it's not so much like that. It's just that deep down, there is a connection there that we can't really explain. Um, and then there's also the voyage and the return, um, comedy, tragedy, rebirth, 
overcoming the monster, like I said, rags to riches, you know, Prince and the Pauper, those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, we want to be that. We want to experience that. We want to uh, somehow unexplainably be connected to that. We don't really know why. Um, and it doesn't matter if, you know, you're a middle-aged man living in the United States or if you're a, a young girl, you know, living in Hong Kong. It doesn't really matter. There's still these underlying um, constants that exist in humanity. Where did they come from? You know, uh, did they come from God? <laughs> you know, what's your definition of God? Did it come from aliens? Did it just come from a combined human experience over millennia? Um, you know, so are they just simply shared stories that have played out? It, it really makes you think, okay? You know, we often take things at face value. Like even, I made a list of my own stories, like constants that you see um, throughout the different myths and legends that seem to be repeating themes. And some of them are very um, much associated with religion. Um, that doesn't make them religious, but they're often associated re with religion, um, like a great flood. You know, of course we have Noah's flood in the Bible, but there's also other great floods that exist as well. Um, in uh, indigenous stories, in Native Americans, um, you see it in ancient Samaria, there's flood stories. And of course, there is even um, uh, hard proof that there was some kind of a flood. Uh, virgin birth, you see show up again and again. You know, you think about Jesus, you think about Horus, you think about um, Mithras and different gods like that who were virgin born. Uh, in some form or another. Um, there's very um, typical creation stories, and they take on different forms very often, but creation is a very, um, very much an archetypal story. It repeats over and over again. Um, the same thing with paradise. You know, we may view paradise as, um, you know, the search for the fountain of youth or something like that. That would be a type of paradise. You know, paradise is where we go and we never have another care or a worry. You know, how many times have we felt that, you know, when life sucks or things aren't going the way we wish they would? Um, you know, we often dream of paradise, whatever paradise means to you. Uh, your paradise and my paradise could be radically different, but it's still an underlying story that is told in our beliefs, in our, um, our own imagination and uh, creativity, it's there. Same with an underworld. You know, you may or may not believe in hell. Um, it exists in most religions in one form or another. Um, but if, if anything, it could just simply be an outworking of the unknown, you know, passing from this life into the next. Um, with today's technology, we have the opportunity to, to speak with people who have been brought back from the dead, you know, who have experiences and such. But uh, the reality is it's still a bit of an unknown, you know. So how do we get to the next point? You know, are we like the Egyptians where we're mummified and uh, put in a sarcophagus along with all kinds of things to help us with the next life? 
Is it more like Christianity where, you know, depending on our choices or our beliefs, um, those determine whether we end up in heaven or hell? Um, and hopefully not hell, <laughs> if, you know, you look at it that way. So there's this mysterious something that's awaiting us, and we don't really know what it is. So it's not a real stretch to see how um, Underworld could very much be an archetypal story. Then you also have, like, the Apocalypse, you know, and there's a lot of talk these days about the Apocalypse, as if it's something fairly new, but in reality... There's always been talk about the apocalypse. There was talk about the apocalypse 2,000 years ago. You know, three or 4,000 years ago, there was talk of apocalypse. Usually these days, it, um, it in includes zombies in some way, shape, or form, or nuclear proliferation, or, um, you know, aliens showing up in grand form and attacking us, or whatever the case may be, but it's usually life gone extremely haywire uh, where it's every man for himself and survival of the fittest and all of that kind of stuff. But see, all of those, again, play into archetypal uh, characters. You know, the hero, the explorer, um, the outlaw, the magician. You know, just because you're playing a magician character doesn't mean you do magic or you know magic. Um you know, it could be any number of things. And so we seem to be drawn to this apocalypse. Um, and uh, another one uh, that I have on my list is uh, transmutation. You know, changing one thing to another, whether it's turning lead into gold or um, moving from our current state of belief to a higher vibrational level. Um, it could be anything, you know, uh, some of it, uh, is tied to birth because you think about how you have an oak, you know, an oak tree, like an acorn seed. And within that acorn seed is an entire oak, right? The entire oak tree, or certainly the uh, description of that oak tree, along with even more acorns and all of that. But it's all in this one seed. And when you plant that seed and you water it and take care of it the way it needs to be taken care of, it transmutes from a seed into a full-grown tree. So we see a lot of transmutation um, in society. Water turning into ice versus steam is a form of transmutation. And uh, so it's an archetype. It just happens again and again and again. And the thing that I find probably most intriguing is how interwoven it is into who we are and what we do, which I've kind of said before. But we don't often, you know, think about, you know, like you're walking through the woods and you see this little sapling, you know, that's maybe six inches high and you go, oh, look at that transmutation at work. Awesome. You know. Or you walk by a couple and the wife is asking for a bottle of water and they don't have one. And the husband says, oh, let me go get uh, get that water for you. Um, there's a place just down the way. I'll pick you one up. We don't think, oh, look at that. He's being the hero. You know, <laughs> like we don't consciously think of that. We just naturally relate to it. Now, I've often taught that um, as marketers or people who are creators and wanting to sell to 
you know, our customers or potential customers, we can actually use those archetypes to our advantage, not as a way to manipulate, but as a way to connect. Uh, because in some respects, you could refer to it as a construct. I often refer to it as a framework. Um, basically the same thing. But it gives you the ability to connect to the core of what makes us us. Um, you know, because we can relate to being a hero. Who doesn't want to be the hero? Except for Tony. You know, he wants to be the outlaw. But, you know, all heroes need an outlaw to chase. So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, who doesn't want to be a hero? Who doesn't want to save the day? Who, do who doesn't want to rise uh, from the ashes or you know, from their rags uh, into a place of riches or abundance. Like, who doesn't want that? And whenever you think about it that way, of course we do. You know, we all want to be that in some form or another. But many of us have just never really sat down and analyzed, why do I want that? Like, why do I want to be a hero? Why do I want to be, you know go from rags to riches like we it's so ingrained in who we are we see that as a natural progression you know like uh an obvious duh you know <laughs> you know who loves being poor except if you're gaming the system or something but even that you know uh and so it often begs the question um and this is a a question that i use a lot um, and that is whenever you're experiencing something or you're choosing to want to walk through something or whatever, uh, even if it's unhealthy, the question is, what are you getting out of it? You know, what are you getting out of it? And that question cuts to the core of archetype. You know, well, I want to save the day, you know, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But uh in wanting to be the hero or wanting to go from rags to riches, just kind of planning on those two for a little bit, um, it can be unhealthy at times. I, I've shared the story. If you've been with me for a while, you would know um, the story. But um, there was a time probably, gosh, 11 or 12 years ago when I was first getting started in online marketing where I would go through this cycle of, uh, I called it my, my personal monthly cycle of where, um, usually around the end of the third week of the month, beginning of the last week of the month, I would go into this freak out mode of how am I going to pay my bills? You know, how am I going to take care of the mortgage? Um, where am I going to get money to buy food for my kids? You know, all that kind of stuff. And it was uh, incredibly stressful. I was very worrisome. And uh, it was just this constant cycle. And somehow, you know, it always worked out. Everything ended up getting paid and all of that. And uh, But yet, you know, the next month would roll around and it would be the same thing all over again. Um, and so one day, somehow, I got the presence of mind to recognize that this was a cycle. And, you know, um, in kind of starting to explore that cycle, 
I asked myself the question, so why, why am I keep going through this cycle over and over again? Like there has to be a reason why. And I didn't, I hadn't discovered the question yet. What am I getting out of this? But you know, it, I, I concluded that there had to be a reason why I was going through that. And it took me a couple years, honestly, to ultimately recognize um, the reason why. But whenever I was in the midst of this cycle, and, you know, I was doing fine uh, when you get right down to it. But I didn't believe that I was doing fine, you know. Um, there was this constant struggle going on. And ultimately, I realized that the reason why I was going through this cycle is because I, I needed to feel needed. Um, and that I needed, I, I loved the feeling of saving the day. Like I was addicted to saving the day, which is a play out of being the hero. Um, and so I remember in one of my meditations, the thought came to me, what if you took the position that the day was already saved? You know, that you don't need to be the hero that you've already been the hero and that's enough, that everything is going to be fine. And it was such a foreign concept to me um, that, um, you know, that I would, it, it was like it was happening on autopilot um, and I didn't know why I was doing it. And, and isn't that the case where we often see these repeating patterns in us? You know, like I remember hearing different women say at different times, you know, why do I keep attracting the same guy over and over again, even though it's different? And Lord knows I went through that cycle as well. Um, and ultimately it comes back to these archetypes that are running in the background, you know, our desire to be this or that. Um, and uh, ultimately, the conclusion that I came to was, well, let's try to see what would happen. Like the next month rolled around and, and uh, my thought process was, well, I wonder how it would go if I just decided that I didn't need to save the day, that the day was already saved and that I was fine and that I didn't need to embrace the stress. I didn't need to feel like the savior. You know, I wonder what would happen. Um, well, I'll tell you what happened. What happened was everything got taken care of. Everything got paid. And I didn't have the stress. I didn't have the worry. I also didn't have the feeling of saving the day, but I had a different feeling. And the feeling was one of reward, you know, that um, I had crossed into this next level. And so now um, I remember, and this has still been a bit of a developmental process, um, you know, over time. Um, I remember one of the questions that came to me once uh, in thinking about this was, um, what time or what evidence do you have? Like one time I was stressing about, you know, I'm going down, you know, things aren't going to get paid. And, and it was in around the same period of time when I was making this discovery. What evidence do you have that this time you're going down? Even though it's all worked out every other time, what evidence do you have that this time you're not going to be the hero? You're not going to win. And 
Uh, you know, I didn't have an answer to that question. I, there, I had no proof that I was going to fail this time. And uh, that really led to... Um, that really led to me understanding that there was something bigger at work in me. Um, and so now, I mean, I use it all the time. I'm very level-headed, very happy-go-lucky. And, you know, there's times where um, things get extremely challenging um, for Kristen and I, just like it does for you guys. And uh, there's times where we're not quite sure how things are going to get paid uh, because of demand or, you know, responsibility or whatever. And, um, you know, Kristen will come to me and she's like, uh, I have this bill for $10,000 and it has to be paid like tomorrow and we have $2,000. How are we going to do that? And what are we going to do? And, you know, she's in panic mode or whatever. And I'm just making up an example. Um, and my response is always the same. She would tell you my response is always the same. And that response is, I don't know how, but it's going to work out. It's like, well, what do you mean it's going to work out? How's it going to work out? Like, I don't know. But name me one time when it hasn't worked out. And she can't. Because it always works out. And so it, I've learned how, in some respects anyway, how to master archetypes in a positive form. You know, to where instead of... Um, being in a Groundhog Day kind of loop, living out the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, I'm actually creating a different result based on the feedback that I've gotten from archetypes. You know, so we can point that out. You know, we don't, even though these archetypes are hardwired into us, doesn't mean we have to constantly live a life of rags to riches, rags to riches, rags to riches. We go from nothing, we build up a, you know, millions of dollar business and then we lose it all and then we build it back up and then we lose it all and then we build it back up and then we lose it all like we don't have to live that even though it's hardwired into us we can overcome that you know and it's just by changing you know by making different choices um and so for me whenever you start thinking about like i don't know how you process things um i had a really awesome conversation with mark uh, last week and we flew around the universe a couple times <laughs> in our discussion but uh, so I, I have a little bit of an idea of how he processes things but um, many of you I, I don't know but like for me I like to put a bunch of different things into my head all at the same time and then just let my subconscious sort it all out and see what we end up with and so I like playing mental games because I've found some really positive uh, outcomes that have happened as a result of that. And, and usually my go-to um, in a lot of these games, quote-unquote, is uh, to the concepts that are built into archetypes. Because there's other things that are very common to us as well, like um, you know the natural earth elements, right? Um, air, fire, earth, water. Uh, spirit. Typically, we see five earth elements, you know, but there are others that also factor into this archetypal structure, if you will, like wood, you know, uh, metal, um, light and dark, 
uh, even sound and sensory perception, right? Those all factor in in a different way. Okay, so you have these physical forms, earth, air, fire, water. You have these physical forms combined with archetypal characters being a hero or an outlaw or an explorer or whatever. Then factoring those into the building block stories like the voyage and return, the quest, all of that. And then taking a look at concepts like virgin birth and great flood, mixing all of that together. We've just told all of history. Like all of history, past and even probably into the future, all exists within those elements. It's like um, taking all of those on dice and just, you know, shaking the Yahtzee can and putting it out onto the table and voila, there's another story, you know. But it isn't just a story. I mean, it's actually a great way of um, writing stories. And I'm going to be talking about that in the Fiction Hacks uh, course that I'm teaching this week. But, um, but more than that, it isn't just writing a great story or, or fiction. Um, this is life. Like, this is how we're living life is through these things. And we don't even know it. Um, and Chris and I had a, a discussion today and I wasn't going to mention it, but it's fascinating as I'm thinking about that discussion in light of what we're talking about here. Um, we, we've noticed a trend with our employees. Um, we have 10 employees. We actually have, well, I think we're down to nine now. We actually had to let go of one of our managers just today. Um, but we noticed a trend for a while. And that trend was that whenever we uh, bring on a new hire, um, one of the things that we do with our company is we encourage creativity. We encourage um you know, the developing of ideas and stuff like that. So, you know, if they have ideas for products or books or videos or whatever the case may be, we encourage them to pursue those. Uh, we give them a lot of creative freedom and decision-making within their position. And um, we've been told over and over again that, you know, working for us is kind of like a dream job for them uh, because of the freedom that they have. But what we've also discovered is that every single person that we've hired to date don't know how to handle the freedom. And uh, at some point or another, we have to have a come to Jesus talk to them because they start self-sabotaging. Uh, and it's just an incredibly curious phenomenon that we've seen in every single person every person. And we were talking about it this morning over breakfast. And she's like, why is this? Like, do you notice that this happens like every single time? Like, why is this happening? Like, we've always had to have a talk with them. And then usually at some point after the talk, they get their head out of their ass and figure some things out. And then they're awesome. And I, she's like, you know, she was throwing out some ideas as to maybe why. And uh, she's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's just because they don't think they're worthy. Maybe 
You know, they're so used to structure that they don't know how to handle freedom and, you know, all of that. And I think that it probably is those things. But what I shared with Kristen was that I think it's much simpler than that. And that is that so so many people, the majority of people, are so used to living life in this framework of archetype that the notion of getting their, um, to having their dream job or something like that is great when it's something to aspire to. But whenever it actually happens, they don't know how to handle it because all of a sudden the dream has become real. And now all of a sudden they're responsible for the dream and they don't know what to do. Um, and so then these other things come into play like self-worth issues and, um, you know, the, a lack of structure. You know, it's one thing to go to a job, to hate your job and to work nine to five and know what to expect every single day. You're working with other people. You have a few things in common, one of which is you hate your job. Um, and then you live for the weekend and all of, and you know, all of those things, you know, that you're never going to make any much more money than what you are now, unless you get the quarter or 50 cent raise per hour. And that's our structure. You know, that's many of our work structures of how we, you know, how our parents did it, how our great grandparents did it. You know, whenever you get out of school, get out of college, you get a good job, good paying job, you pay your mortgage, you provide for your family. You know, we have these structures that we're used to. So then what do you do whenever all of a sudden you discover, I don't hate my job. I actually love my job. And I can actually do things that I never thought that I could do before. And I have the potential to make more money than I've ever made before or whatever. Not to say that we paid our pay our employees lavishly. I mean, we don't, but still there's opportunities there that they never had or never thought about. And all of a sudden we start seeing it again and again, destructive behavior. You know, um, we start seeing, uh, uh, people sabotaging themselves. You know, they start showing up late or doing stupid shit that they know better, you know? And man, can you imagine if, all of us were able to break free from that framework or that structure that we're familiar with and feel safe in and venture out into something new, like what that could look like and feel like for us. Because even whenever you step out of one framework, it's like box to box, you know, um, you know, I have a lot more freedom, uh, in my life than many people do. And yet I still find myself in boxes all the time. And there, I have friends who, you know, the box that I'm struggling with, it's like a non thing to them. Like, dude, all you have to do is X, Y, Z. You know, I don't understand why you're struggling so much. And honestly, I don't know why I'm struggling as much as I do at certain things, but yet other things are easy, you know? Um, and I'm not talking about like skill sets. Okay. You know, like, I've been, you know, working with a table saw all my life. So now I can cut anything you can imagine out of wood. Like, I'm not talking about stuff like that. It's more like a, um, a form of programming. And what I've discovered in studying myself 
and in people watching is that it all comes back to today's topic. It all comes back to archetypes and how we relate to those and how we adopt those and adapt those to ourselves because there's these other things that factor in that we haven't talked about yet, but I've talked about before and hadn't really connected these dots before, but it actually makes sense right now. And that is that there's these other driving forces that we could probably actually consider a form of archetype. And that is, um, as humans, we want to be loved. We want to belong. We want to know that we matter. You know, um, and there's others that are like that, you know, like who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want to feel like they matter or what they're doing actually is worth something? Like who doesn't want to feel that way? Who doesn't want to belong? You know, I hate feeling left out, you know, or just going it alone all the time or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like we all want that. And the, I mean, those are also very core motivators for us. Uh, and so because of that, um, you'll notice that if you really think about it, even those core motivators tie back into our topic of archetypes. Now, um, William mentioned about, uh, asked if at some point I could talk more about how we can use archetypes from a marketing perspective. Um, under, uh, and I, I absolutely will. Um, so first of all, understand that all that marketing is, all that selling is, is storytelling. Okay. The secret to connecting with your audience in a way that they're interested in purchasing your product, whatever product that it is that you're selling, is to effectively communicate the benefits of that product, right? Like if, if they truly understand how they can benefit from that product, but, and this is a big but, can also see themselves using that product that's where we're after to get them to that point. Then sales become easy. But if we can't create a selling environment or a buying environment, however you want to spin it, where our customer can see how they, why they would need that product or how they could personally benefit from that product, then they may or may not buy. Okay, so our job is to create uh, a framework or a construct or whatever you want to refer to it as. I usually call it a framework um, where people can insert themselves into that structure and take on the identity. So the conversation works like this. We start off with telling stories and those stories are often based on archetypes. Well, they're all based on archetypes because there's no such thing as a story separate from an archetype. Uh, and there's really only seven basic stories when you get right down to it. Rags to Riches, of course, is a very popular one, but so is, you know, Hero's Quest. 
because again, who doesn't want to be a hero? And so that's why whenever you see a lot of sales copy written, um, it's often written in a structure that uh, it's one that I use all the time called uh, POS with, uh, or PAS, excuse me, uh, problem, agitate and solve, where you present a problem, you emphasize or agitate that problem, and then you offer a solution. Well, from uh, PAS, problem, agitate, solve, what am I doing? I'm relying on Hero's Quest. You know, you're starting off with a problem, but you have to rise to the occasion to conquer the problem or to want the solution that will make you the hero or that will take you from rags to riches or that will take you through rebirth from the sucky, shitty life that you have now into this new amazing experience, right? Those are all archetypes. And so whenever you're telling the story um, of your product or service or whatever it is, you want to structure your story recognizing that there's these archetypes that you can draw on uh, in a way that people will naturally relate to it because the conversation starts with you, but it ends with them. Uh, and it ends with them because once you've established that framework and your potential customer can insert themselves into that story that you're telling, now all of a sudden they take over the storytelling. You don't have to anymore because now it's them telling the story in their mind. It's not you telling the story. You're just providing the construct for them to insert themselves. And once, <clears throat> excuse me, once they can tell the story themselves and they can see themselves creating their own coloring books or illustrating their own kids' books or whatever the case may be, once they can see that, then they're a customer, then they're on board. They're like, oh yeah, I can totally see myself do that. I'd love to do that with my grandchildren, you know, create coloring books together or you know, I've always wanted to write my own book and I have some great ideas. I just wasn't sure where to begin, but this sounds like it'll show me where to begin, right? So you start the story based on these archetypal structures and then they complete the story in their own mind. They become the hero. They become the person who's gone from rags to riches. They've become the one who's taken the voyage and returned. Okay, so that's how you use this in a marketing sense. And again, as I've said before, it's not to manipulate or anything like that. And there certainly are people who can use it for that and have used it for that. But I see it from a place of, um, and I'm certainly like this, and so I'm sure you are as well, is that we're so jaded with today's marketing. We know we're being sold to. We hear it all the time. We get freaking hundreds of emails a day, all of them trying to sell us the latest, greatest thing that's going to change our lives. And we're jaded. We're tired of it. It's all bullshit, right? Um, and so that's where we are. Um, even though it may actually be legit and the thing that could save us, we're like, you know what? Holy crap. I'm so over getting all these emails all the time. I just want to be left alone. Right. Uh, and so that's a challenge. Like even to get people to open up an email can be a challenge. You know, a clicker, uh, tricky and clever can only go so far. 
uh, to get people to click open. And then once they open, you know, to get them to read. And then once they start to read, to get them to click. And then once they click, to get them to actually read the sales page. And then once they read the sales page, to actually get them to click the buy button and not abandon the cart. Right? So it's a multiple step process. That's why the story is so important. And, uh, and so the way I see it in using these structures, these archetypes, is that they help enhance your ability to effectively communicate the benefits of what you're offering. Because there's objections. Um, everybody has objections. And as a seller of whatever, doesn't matter whatever, you may know the benefits of what you're offering, whether it's a digital product or a physical product or a service or whatever the case may be. You should know and understand the benefits and how you can help the people you serve. But if they never hear that message, nothing happens, right? And so they're going to have objections. Well, it's too expensive, or I don't have time, or I don't know if I can even do that, or if I want to do it, or whatever. And so the more you can anticipate objections, the better chance of a conversion you have, right? The better uh, conversion rate you're going to have for people clicking through or opening or buying or whatever the case may be. So... Um, using archetypes and these structures that we've been talking about here simply help you negotiate around the objections. Because if people want to be the hero, you know the struggles that the hero goes through. It's an archetype. It happens pretty much the same way every single time. For somebody who's going rags to riches, it's an archetype. It happens pretty much the same way every single time. And people are hardwired. Don't even know it. They're hardwired with this stuff. And so whenever we uh, appeal to that, all of a sudden they're getting a message that seems familiar, even though they may not even know you, but yet it's familiar somehow. And they can relate to it. And there is the power of it all, is that it gives you that chance to move past some of those objections and sound familiar, even though they don't even know who the heck you are. So you're not manipulating them. You're just connecting with them at a deeper level. Okay. And it takes a little practice. And I'd love to say that it works every single time. And obviously it doesn't. Um, but it's a lot more powerful than I think we give it credit for. And as a result, um, I, I've experimented uh, with this kind of stuff a lot where... I'll be promoting a product and I'll try a lot of different approaches in the subject line, in the uh, email copy or whatever. I'll approach it in different forms, um, honestly, because I like to experiment. <laughs> I like to see everything is science to me in some form or another. But the other thing is, too, that uh, chances are likely if you have like an email list or you're using social media marketing or something like that, uh, different people will respond to different archetypes. Not everyone necessarily will respond to the hero's journey. You know, so if that's the only approach that you use, there's some that you're going to miss as opposed to picking a different one. You know, like tragedy is a really good one. 
uh, tragedy is is an incredibly powerful archetype that we can use in marketing. It's very similar in some respects to rags or riches, but it usually involves how um, and think about marketers that you've purchased from, myself included. Uh, I'll tell you my tragedy story. Um, most of you are familiar with it. Uh, and I don't use it, you know, in a manipulative way. It was just my life. But, you know, almost 10 years ago, my uh, divorce was final. My dad died. My dog died. My daughter moved away. My cousin died. My uncle died all in a, a space of like two or three weeks. And it rocked me to my core. And ultimately, I had to pull out of that. I had to go through the grief. I had to go through the lack of control and get my feet back on the ground, so to speak, and move forward. And I did. But a lot of people have those stories, right? If not everyone, in some form or another, has that story. That's a tragedy. That is an archetype. And overcomers who have gone through the tragedy and have come out the other side inspire others because chances are likely there are many people who can relate to your tragedy, your story. You know, I know whenever I've shared mine in the past, first time I really went into depth with it uh, several years ago, I can't tell you how many people contacted me and reached out and told me their story of how they lost their dog or they lost a parent or whatever and how they dealt with it and moved on and all of that kind of stuff. And even though I had gone through it myself and, and, you know, came out the other side, I still found their stories inspiring, you know, that they did it too. Um, and it's not to say that everybody who goes through a tragedy survives, unfortunately, you know, but um, there's many of us that do. And so as a result, um, many perhaps in our audience can relate to that especially if we have products around recovery or, you know, those kinds of things. Right. Um, and so again, why is it so powerful? Because it's an archetype. It's something that we can all relate to, you know, comedy, same thing. We love to laugh, you know, it's a, you know, laughter is a medicine. We, uh, like to just kind of let off some steam and, you know, <laughs> let the, uh, rip-roaring laughter begin. Um, and so we can relate to that as well. You know, it can be silly shit like cats doing cute stuff on video or slapstick or, you know, people talking about the things you don't normally talk about in public, but yet we all know is true. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. Um, and so why does that work for us? Why does that help us? Why can we move on through those experiences? Because we're deep core programmed to respond that way. And, uh, you know, why the seven story types that exist? Why there's seven? I mean, some have identified more, but really they're variations of the same theme. But why seven? Why not five or three? I mean, seven is a sacred number, but but beyond that, you know, um, you notice these patterns. So anyway, let me uh, go down through some of the comments and questions here. Um, 
<laughs> Lori says, so now I know what all these out of nowhere sales you and Kristen have are to pay bills. Ha ha ha. Just kidding. You guys, uh, your guys info is always great. No matter what, uh, where it comes from. Well, uh, one thing that I will say about that, Lori, is that um, one of the questions that I've asked for a long time and Kristen has just started asking it um, more so is uh, what's next. Um, it's a question that I ask all the time. I don't just pick random courses that, oh, hey, this could be fun. Let's teach on this. Um any course that I offer, whatever it is, comes from inspiration somewhere. It comes from me meditating, pacing, doing whatever, and asking what's next and why. And so whenever an inspiration comes to me, like the current one, Public Domain Fiction Hacks, um, you know, yeah, it was something that I've been experimenting with and playing with, but that doesn't just because I'm doing it doesn't mean that you're going to enjoy doing it or, or whatever. Like I have to be able to, it has to be in my framework. I have to be able to insert myself into it as well. And so, you know, I'll be walking along or pacing along and whenever an inspiration comes, Usually it comes with, this is what they need. This is what they're looking for. This is what a group of people desire to learn about or whatever. And so I've just learned to trust that, you know, and it's worked out okay. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, we, there's a, a lot of bills that we have to pay. I mean, payroll alone is $15,000 a month, you know, just that. <laughs> it doesn't count, you know rents and mortgages and all kinds of other fun things, inventory, you know, all that fun stuff. But, um, you know, I've learned to trust the system and the system has treated me very well. Mavis says the need to have that chat with employees. Don't forget the need for the archetype guide mentor. Oh yeah. And we definitely, um, step into that responsibility uh, for sure. I mean, we recognize that and we reach out to our employees from that perspective of, hey, you know, don't think that you can't talk to us if you're struggling with this or that or, you know, whatever the case may be. We're here. You know, we may be your boss, but we're here. We want to see you succeed. And so we try to be that. And sometimes they will come to us and sometimes not like the current experience that we're going through right now. Um, one of our star employees made a choice that they can't take back and it resulted in them being fired, uh, because we have, uh, standard operating procedures. We have things in place that say, if you do X, Y happens. That way it takes emotion out of the equation, you know, even though trusted friend, you know, all of that kind of stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> you break the rules. There's, there are consequences. And unfortunately their consequences are going to be much more lasting than just losing a job with us. But anyway, uh, let's see. 
Carolyn says, it seems like that could be how the retired person feels when they first have to adjust not going to work and being on a schedule with someone uh, to look over their shoulder. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I can totally see that as an application because uh, they don't know where they fit in anymore. You know, they don't know their place. And that's something that's very important to us is to know our place. Um, even though that place can change and hopefully does change and evolve. Um, I know for my dad, I mean, my dad retired and within three or four months, um, he had seizures, which ultimately led to the discovery of the brain tumor he had. Now, does that mean that he developed a brain tumor because he retired? No, it doesn't. But, um, the fact remains that it still played out the same. He, it played out that, you know, he didn't, he no longer, um, was part of a group. He no longer was sure, you know, what his role was in life. And, you know, he lasted a year and a half after that. And, um, there, the difference is like contrasted, uh, to that is my mom. So my mom became an entrepreneur at 68 and started her own business. She'd always done sewing and stuff like that for others. And I mean, she basically did it most of her life for other people, but it never really occurred to her to have her own business. And I'd like to think that I was one of the inspirations for her to try to make a go of it on her own. But, um, she's very active. She has a very dedicated clientele list. Um, she also works part-time, uh, for my sister in her tea room and, uh, makes products to sell on Etsy and retail stores and stuff. So that is, that's been her approach. And, um, you know, she's been extremely healthy and, uh, travels every so often, which is kind of cool. Seeing her take her first flight on an airplane was kind of fun at like 70. Um, and so, you know, that's been different for her. She basically rewrote how her life was going to play out, like what her place was going to be. Um, but there was a time where she really struggled and I was concerned about it. Um, you know, back when she first decided to retire and especially after my dad passed, um, you know, she floundered a bit as would be expected. You know, I mean, that's not uncommon at, at all, of course, especially when you've been with somebody your entire life from age 17. Um, and now all of a sudden they're no longer around and you're retired from your regular work. Like, what do you do? You reinvent yourself, which is what she did. Um, let's see. Tony says, I've got myself a business partner to be responsible to as I'm fed up of self-sabotaging myself. So now my focus is not on me, but on our joint goal. It just helps somehow. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I can totally see that working. And that's one thing that Kristen and I, I think, have really benefited from. Even though we've had our own success independently of each other, whenever we came together, I mean, you know, we've been friends for years and years, but when we actually came together as a couple, um, both our businesses doubled 
literally doubled. And then um, the next year, um, they grew again by probably, well, hers doubled again. Mine grew probably by around 40%, you know? And so like in the space of two years, we went from a combined income of 300,000 maybe uh, our first year together to over a million just in a very, very short period of time. And it wasn't because, uh, you know, all of a sudden we were Wonder Twins and doing everything together. We've done very little together except for our retail stores now. Um, You know, those are together. But there was a synergy that took place. And I think that's probably what you're talking about, Tony, is you've tapped into a synergy of partnering together with someone else. And I think that's awesome. Mark says, ah, the effervescent last minute hero. He has lurked in the back of my head for years. I realized eventually that the day to day of working as a creative in advertising, which has a hard deadline associated with every aspect, I got the hero's feedback for many last minute successes. It became the norm and it was stressful. And I thought I disliked it when then the introspection aha came when I realized I was putting things off for no seeming reason to acquire the uh, kudos. The what do I get out of this question was indeed the key. Since then, uh, I was in my 20s, I always look inward first. Yeah, it can be subtle and it can actually creep back in um, for sure. I mean, it's something that I have to constantly be aware of because... Uh, I'll be honest with you. I love saving the day. (laughs) I love being the superhero. You know, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to know that you've done something that has benefited others or helped others or that, you know, you can feel good about for yourself. And, And it's not to say that the hero is necessarily bad. It isn't at all. But what you do have to be aware of, and it sounds like you certainly are, is the motivation behind why. That is really the key. Because you can experience being the hero in many forms without sabotaging things, or like you said, waiting to the last minute to get stuff done. Um, Been there, done that many, many times. It's one of the reasons why I like teaching webinars live. It's a hard deadline. And I know I have to put up or shut up, you know, as opposed to teaching webinars or teaching videos with no one around. Um, It's a bit more challenging, although I'm a lot more disciplined with that than I used to be. But um, yeah, it's it's we are such weird and wonderful people, you know, in so many ways. We do such weird, screwy, strange things. At times, it's hilarious whenever you really start paying attention to why we do what we do. It's it's just crazy hilarious. Tony says, a couple weekends ago, I unsubscribed to over 200 email marketers. That's awesome. I've been working my way through the same thing. It's like, why? You know, like I have this one guy now that uh, I've already started unsubscribing because it's like three or four emails a day. It's like, come on, dude. And they're not even the same offer. They're like completely different offers. You know, it's like, try this. No, try this. No, try this. No, try this. Like, 
don't want to freaking try any of them. You know, go away. Uh, it's just annoying. William asks, uh, so would it be fair to say that objections arise because the pros uh, prospect is not completely seeing themselves in the story? I would say so. Yeah, I think that's a, a really great conclusion. And and here's why. The common, um, the common objections normally are, um, I, I can't afford it, or I'm not sure if I can do that or I don't have the time, or I'm not sure that this is for me. Like, and usually I'm not sure if this is for me goes back to one of the previous three. Um, and so as a result, like, you know, as well as I do, if somebody wants something bad enough, they will find the money. So money is not an object. Like I was at Walmart yesterday standing in line and I was in the short checkout line where they sell the cigarettes and stuff. And one of the employees, Walmart employees, came walking over to the gal who, the checkout gal is, is a friend of mine. She actually uh, brings her grandchildren into our toy store all the time. And so as a result, every time I see her, she's like, oh, hi, sweetie. How's the store doing? You know, that kind of thing. And so while I'm standing there, this young gal comes over and uh, she's like, how much is the cheapest pack of cigarettes that you guys have here? And it's like that question alone is very, very telling. Like she needs her cigarettes. And so all of a sudden, somehow or another, she's going to find that money. You know, even if it means going without lunch, she's got to get her fix. And uh, so it, to me, it isn't a matter of time. People will make time. If they have to, you don't believe me, have a family member be in an accident. Now, all of a sudden, doesn't really matter what you were doing. Uh, you need to rush to be with them, right? So it's a matter of priority. And priority is a huge factor in using the framework correctly. In other words, you're positioning yourself as a priority. And by doing that, you are addressing those objections. Well, I don't have time. I don't have the money. You know, I don't know if I can do this. You know, a lot of the objections that I focus on anymore is proof that they can do this. Okay. So that's why I teach so much step-by-step -step demo, honestly, is just to prove to people that they can actually do it. Now, it's not to say that they will. You know, because uh, Lord knows we're all the, uh, you know, <laughs> like the saying goes, the highway to hell is lined with good intentions. You know, we all have the best of intentions. And, you know, I'm no different than you guys. You know, I've, I've bought $5,000 courses and I never did anything with them. Um, you know, I've done it just like you. Uh, so I'm included in the, in the congregation, so to speak. But... Uh, Best intentions are another thing. You know, it's another thing that um, comes up usually after the purchase is made. Uh, Thumper says, I have people say I have permission uh, and then fill in the blank uh, statement three times. Then I had them say I have permission 
fill in the blank now three times. And then I have them say, I have permission now and I feel okay about it three times. I find people do not have permission to be their best and they need to be given permission. That's what I do with my patients. That's really powerful. Um, and uh, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate it. And I, uh, I found permission to be a, a huge thing as well, that people feel like they don't have permission. You're absolutely right to do whatever. Um, and and I, I mean, I remember once or twice having conversations with people and I could tell that they were struggling. And uh, it's like, I don't, I just don't know if I can or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, if you need permission to succeed at this or to do this, you have my permission. You know, I give you permission. And they're like, huh? I'm like, you have my permission. Go for it. And it just catches them so off guard. They're like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but to have people say that themselves and to use the progression you use, that's really, that's really awesome. Uh, and Tony says, newly retired people often feel like they are not wanted anymore and have trouble adjusting. That's why I, I've said from early on um, that I would never retire. Um, my latest conversation, uh, Chris and I were talking the other day. Um, I said, you know, I think I'm going to tell people that I'm going to live to 110 and then give them a special offer by dying at 97. <laughs> Just because, you know, the whole play on numbers for prices. But anyway, I digress into my silliness. Right. Uh, Thumper says they can fill in the blank with whatever they want to have permission to do. Yeah. My first exposure... Um, to that was whenever I worked at Destiny Image, which is a Christian publisher. It's the first first place that I worked as a graphic designer. Some of you know. Um, and uh, the uh, owner of the company, um, Don Norai, who just passed away several months ago, um, posed a, a question which wasn't really original with him. I mean, since then I've heard it asked and mentioned by many people in different ways um, that even predated him. Um, but he would often say, um, if you had all the money you needed, all of the time you needed, all the materials you needed, and all the permission that you needed, what would you do with your life? And he would expect a real answer. Like, what would you really do? And his whole purpose of that, of course, was to try to mine down into what someone's true purpose in life was. You know, what would you really do with time? And a lot of people are afraid to dream that because they don't want to be disappointed. They're afraid to dream the impossible dream because they're going to be disappointed. You know, what if I try to live the hero's quest, except that don't work, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And I found, that's one of the things that I found that's extremely saddening to me is that um, people are afraid to dream. 
You know, I mean, the dream that Kristen and I are pursuing, honestly, I don't know if we'll ever accomplish it all or not, uh, because it's huge, but that isn't stopping me. Like I'm still taking steps forward with it all as if I'm acting as if it's all going to happen because as far as I'm concerned, it all already exists. So I'm just moving forward. And there's times where it's like, you know what? This is not going to happen. Like I have no idea how it's even going to happen. And I try to think about it or I try, you know, whatever. But then it's like, I have no proof that it's not going to happen. You know, it may not happen exactly the way I think or in the timeline that I think or at the cost that I think, but it doesn't matter. You know, I'm just still pushing forward and I need to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And I found that as I break all of that down into bite-sized chunks, somehow it's manageable. And I look back at like just what Kristen and I together have accomplished in three years. I mean, we've only been married for two. We've actually been together for four, but we took uh, a year basically to ourselves and traveled mostly. But um, I look at what we've accomplished and it's mind blowing. Like I have no freaking idea how we did what we did. Honestly, it's just, you know, people constantly say, when do you guys sleep? We actually goof off and sleep a lot, you know. She's trying to turn me into a night owl and I'm trying to turn her into a morning person and neither one of those are working. <laughs> so we just kind of met in the middle somewhere, you know, get up 7.30, 8 o'clock and go to bed maybe at 10.30 or 11. Um, that seems to be our compromise. But we just don't stop. Like, we are the dream. We live the dream. We breathe the dream. We just don't stop. And because we don't stop, the amount and number of amazing synchronicities that happen are just mind-blowing. You know, it's like, I don't have to try to walk the hero's journey. The path is just revealing itself. I'm just walking. Like, that's my job, is to walk. I'm not trying to be the hero. I'm just trying to walk to the next step. And it seems to be working out okay. I had this thought the other day, and I'll throw this out here because it, it's so random that I know it has to be inspired because I would never think this on my own, ever. And I apologize for the emotion. Didn't really think that would show up. But um, I had this thought come to me the other day that... At the end of my days, what I'm going to be known for in life has nothing to do with what I'm teaching now. I've taught over 100 courses over the course of a dozen years. And now all of a sudden this random thought pops into my head that people aren't even going to know you as a teacher. They're going to know you as something completely different. And whenever, you, whenever they find out that you taught online courses and stuff, they'll be surprised because they didn't even know. Like, I don't even know what to think about that. That's how I'm earning my living right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just like, okay. I mean, that was my response. Like, okay. Whatever that needs to look like, I'm willing to go there. But do I know what that means? I have no clue. Well, actually, I do have a little bit of a clue. That's not entirely true. 
I do have an idea of where that may be taking me, but it just kind of shocked me. It was so out of the blue. I was literally in the middle of the day walking back to my office and it stopped me dead in my tracks. Just this thought went boom right into my mind. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> and so I told Kristen about it later on. She's like, what does that even mean? And I said, I have no idea. She's like, but you've taught all this stuff. And I'm like, I know, right? I've already, I've always seen myself as a teacher, but yet here's this other thing. So who knows? <laughs> Lori says, maybe a random thought has to do with your dinosaur park. Why? Well, I certainly had that, uh, that thought. Uh, and I think it's indirectly related to that. Um, there's some other things that I'm working on behind the scenes. I'm not quite ready to divulge yet. And I think if anything, it may have some to do with those as well. And it's not e-com or anything like that. But Tony says, I too am 69 and nowhere near retirement. Yeah, I'm 56 and like, it seems like a false number to me. I can't even relate to it. Like, I look at other people that I went to school with. I had a fairly large graduating class, like 667 or something like that. 687, I don't remember now. But fairly large compared to some. And so because I live in the area that I graduated in and grew up in, every so often I'll run into some of my former classmates. And, man, they just like got old, <laughs> you know. <coughs> like they even look old. I mean, I don't really have much hair, but I think I look pretty decent for my age. People usually think I'm in my 40s. Um, maybe it's just good genetics. I don't know. But um, yeah, I'm not stopping. You know, I will have to be stopped because I am not stopping. Uh, Carolyn asks, are you going to Armin's October event? We thought about it, um, but um, we're not going to be only because we have another event at the same time uh, in North Carolina that we're going to. It's a mastermind that happens quarterly, and so we're going to that instead. William says, I, dis I would disagree with you. People will remember you in the way you had contact with them. For me, it will be you as a teacher who has heavily influenced my thinking. Yeah, well, thanks. I really appreciate you saying that. And it does make sense, you know. Um, I mean, that's very, that makes sense to me, of course. So I, like, I have no frame of reference for what the thought even, you know, what frame of reference that even came from, it just really struck me as odd because I certainly wasn't thinking anything about that at all. Um, I tend to look at it as the universe just encouraging me to let me know that some steps that I'm taking right now are important and steps that will have a huge impact in, on the future, on my future and other people's future, apparently. So anyway, well, that's all I have, folks. I really enjoyed the discussion once again. Thanks for all your feedback and input. 
Um, that's, I love talking about different topics like this because you never quite know where you're going to land with it all. And getting feedback from all of you is especially valuable to me as well. So um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week this week. And uh, we will come together next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern for another topic, which currently is unknown. <laughs> so until then, enjoy your week.